at the time I wrote it, I felt like I've been writing a lot of heavy stuff. I mean, Kitchens and Lager Queen had they had some rather weighty themes, and I thought I I want to laugh. I want to I want to write something funny and lighthearted. And while this is probably my least lighthearted book, <laughs> I'm right <laughs> overall. I, it's still funny. I think there are some scenes that are that still make me laugh when I read them, but it ended up going in a completely different direction after that scene. But the, but the kernel of this book started there, started with this schism between Mariel and her mother Florence. Welcome to the Friends and Fiction Writer's Block Podcast. Four New York Times bestselling authors, one rock star librarian, and endless stories. Join Mary Kay Andrews, Kristen Harmel, Christy Woodson Harvey, and Patty Callahan Henry, along with Ron Block. As novelists, we are four longtime friends with 70 books between us. And I am Ron Block. Please join us for fascinating author interviews and insider talk about publishing and writing. If you love books and are curious about the writing world, you are in the right place. Welcome to a new episode of the Friends in Fiction Writer's Block Podcast. Some of our favorite episodes are about books and authors that you should absolutely know. Our guest today is Jay Ryan Stradal, author of the newly published Saturday Night at the Lakeside Supper Club. The book received a starred review from Kirkus calling it a loving ode to supper clubs, the Midwest, and the people there who try their best to make life worth living. As a longtime fan of Jay Ryan and his work, I can enthusiastically agree. It may even be the best book he's written yet. I am Ron Block. And I am Christy Woodson Harvey. Jay Ryan is the author of New York Times bestseller, Kitchens of the Great Midwest, and national bestseller, The Lager Queen of Minnesota. His writing has appeared in the New York Times, The Wall Street Journal, The Guardian, The Rumpus, and the Los Angeles Review of Books. His debut, Kitchens of the Great Midwest, won the American Booksellers Association Indies Choice Award for Adult Debut Book of the Year. Born and raised in Minnesota, he now lives in California with his family. His highly entertaining, complete bio can be found on his website, jryanstradal.com. Welcome to the podcast. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Boy, what a slacker. That's a... <laughs> you I sit know, around I twiddling your thumbs all the time. <laughs> I have got to really just do more with my yeah, life. <laughs> pick it up, Kristen. Pick it up. No, anyway, we're so excited to talk about this book. I have been, as you know, a huge fan since Kitchens and I... This one just kind of blew me away. It, it's everything you have written has been so good, but this is another level for you. So I hope you feel that when you were writing it. It's gotten lots of praise, and I can't wait for people to get their hands on it. As we start this, though, will you just give our listeners a taste of what it's about? And then we always ask what the book is really about. Oh, excellent. I love those questions. Uh, <laughs> I got to get better at this, too. <laughs> uh, uh, to me, the book is about two restaurant families that have a very different ethos, but are both concerned with legacy. So it's two restaurant legacies that are intertwined. Uh, tragedy sets them in different directions. And which restaurant will survive? <laughs> And will a family stay together? Uh, for me, it was inspired by becoming a father for the first time. My son was born in December 2019. I started writing this book in May of 2019. 
and I wrote most of it during the pandemic while my son was an infant. I shared a room with him, so he slept in the same room as I wrote. And when he'd wake up, I'd feed him and I'd rock him with my foot, one of those baby Bjorn rockers and type. <laughs> so knowing that was happening in May of 2019 and then experiencing, I became very interested in questions about legacy and re realizing that and what I got a lot of nerve bringing a kid into this world. <laughs> right. I, I, I could totally see them disavowing a lot of what we've created for them and therefore a lot of what we value that's tied up in that. And mm -hmm. therefore, I feel pretty certain that, you know, it's up to my son to decide that it's up to my, it's up to my son to decide whether or not I have anything of value to leave him. And mm -hmm. that reminded me of the times that I'd worked in restaurants, particularly at the Steamboat Inn at Prescott, Wisconsin, which is like most supper clubs, a, a family run enterprise. And I'd been wanting to write about supper clubs for a long time because there's such a unique feature of the northern Midwest, the Great Lakes area, Wisconsin, Minnesota in particular. And I thought, okay, I can marry this theme into this setting because almost every supper club I've experienced was family owned and passed through the generations and not always enthusiastically accepted by some members of the, of the subsequent generation, just like any, any family run business. So by marrying those two things, I think I, I had the outline of a story. I knew what my ending was going to be. And like I always do, I start really far away from that ending <laughs> and, and there's a novel. <laughs> I love it. It is great. I love it. That's a great description. Well, this was such a fascinating book and there was so much about it. You know, the Midwest perspective is obviously very different from like the Southern perspective, but as a Southerner and a, you know, someone who writes about the South, I felt a lot of those things that I feel when I'm writing and reading Southern fiction, like just that these characters that you just, you know, that you know them and these places that are just so unique and special and aren't like anywhere else. And I have to be honest, I didn't know about the supper clubs until mm. I read this book. That was not something that I was aware of. So there's wow. always something. So things like that are always so fascinating to me because, you know, I just didn't know. So, so that was, that was really interesting, but you definitely had us out of the gate with Mariel heading to the supper club. And I just, I love the way this book opens, but where did the original kernel of this idea come from for you? Wow. Well, or do you know? Uh, <laughs> sometimes, yeah, well, know. sometimes I don't. Yeah. 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 Well, that's a complicated question. Yeah. I've been thinking yeah. about writing about supper clubs for a while since mm -hmm. touring for my first two books, which brought me back to the Midwest quite a bit during which I ate at supper clubs and I thought, yeah. oh man, what a, what a unique environment. I really want to figure out how to work this into a story. And I'd actually had a short chapter in an early version of Lager Queen that took place in a supper club and it got cut just for time, you know, just, mm -hmm. it didn't yeah. move the story forward. It was just one of those sentimental details I really wanted to have in the book because I love supper clubs, but you know, yeah, it, it was one of those darlings <laughs> that get yeah. killed. Yep. So I, I set it aside thinking like, you know what? I think it needs to be a setting and I need to work it around a theme that is resonant to me. However, the first chapter I wrote that is still in the book is the chapter where that starts the book where Mariel heads out to go 
pick up her mom at the church and then kind of decides along the way, okay, maybe I'm not going to pick her up at church and then has an accident and gets her life brought in a completely different direction. And so I thought, okay, well, that's that neither takes place in a supper club or really deals with the themes I'm talking about. It just really <laughs> amused me. At the, time I, at the time I wrote it, I felt like I've been writing a lot of heavy stuff. I mean, Kitchens and Lager Queen had, they had some rather weighty themes. And I thought, mm-hmm. I, I want to laugh. I want to I want to write something funny and lighthearted. And while this is probably my least lighthearted book I'm right. <laughs> overall, I, it's still funny. I think there are some scenes that are that still make me laugh when I read them. But it ended up going in a completely different direction after that scene. But the but the kernel of this book started there. It started with this schism between Mariel and her mother Florence. And then I thought, well, you know, it's kind of silly. It's 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 absolutely conceivable in the Midwest for a woman to wait wait for uh, her daughter to pick her up at the church for two months. That's that's a level of <laughs> passive aggression that is it's it's rare, but certainly certainly possible um it was hysterical yeah it was one of those things that i was like that would also happen in the south (laughs) sure sure yeah it's like she knows where i am you know just that kind of stubbornness and and other people their age other people of their generation uh approving of the stubbornness at the very least kind of resignedly if, if 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 uh nothing else yeah and i thought well that's a that's a really fun attribute that i like to exploit (laughs) when i write about midwesterners is this intransigence but i didn't want to leave it there i thought i really want to get into the psyche of a person that would do that i want to understand her better and i want the reader to understand her better and that took me down the path of the subsequent chapters that get into florence's backstory and where the inherited trauma fell to her that created the conditions for this kind of behavior and I think it helped. I think it helped a lot. It made the book a lot less light, but people walk away from the book now telling me, I really like Florence. And I wasn't expecting to hear that when I was writing the first draft. I thought, <laughs> oh, well, that's that cranky old, you know, woman who's my friend's mom. You know, I know her, like can't stand mm-hmm. her, that kind of thing. But <laughs> I, I think now the reader really gets to know Florence. And I think Florence gets a chance to shine, which she didn't before. Which we shouldn't have had I just kept the book comic and kept her kind of a a stock, cranky old woman character. I didn't want to do that. I liked her too much. So (laughs) I wanted to flesh her out and give her a moment, give her some moments to prove what she can be at her best. Yeah. And and I think as readers, too, we we just wanted the best for Florence. We wanted her to succeed. We wanted her to do the right thing always. But it's a character I grew to love. So um, let's talk about kind of a little bit further back. You're from the Midwest, and a lot of people um, kind of run from where they're from and kind of <laughs> take off and never go back. But you seem very connected to that. Uh, so oh, yeah. what is that connection for you, and, and, and what is the connection to the food in the Midwest for you? Wow. Um, most of my friends and almost all my family are still in the Midwest. So I'd be going back to visit them anyway, as I as I was before I became a novelist, at least twice a year. My grandmother is still a big reader at 99, or she turns 99 this year. Um, awesome. Yeah, I still buy her books and send them to her. Does she read your books? Yeah, Does she, she likes book? other people's books more. Yeah, <laughs> like, she actually told me that she wouldn't be recommending my debut novel to her friends because of the language. 
Yeah. Oh, <laughs> oh my gosh. I but, love it. Yeah, I get it. I get it. Yeah. Well, I have to say, I have said before, not to interrupt you, but I have said before when people would always say to me, like, you really don't have any like graphic, like sex scenes in any of your books. Not that that's what I write anyway, but I was like, my grandmother reads these books. Like, no. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Why would I? Unless it's required. Yeah. And even then. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I thought I, I do think about that kind of stuff. And I don't know. You know, I'm sure there's this ideal that the writer shouldn't think of a reader or think of readers when they write, but I do in those moments. You know, also, I think since a lot of my characters are based on these kinds of Midwestern women, I think, how well, how would they describe the situation? Well, they probably wouldn't describe it at all, or they describe it in the most uh, opaque, uh, <laughs> bottlerized terms possible. And so when I do have scenes of intimacy, I think I usually handled them like my characters would um, since I write in close third quite often anyway. So it tracks. I don't have to step aside and say, oh, I'm I'm what's the word disrespecting or shortchanging the reader by not rendering the scene as accurately or as graphically as I could uh, by filtering it through the point of view of this character. I think I'm you know, I also have the advantage of having their voice be a part of that description and right. And having the reader uh, come up with their own images based on what <laughs> what my characters are willing to provide them. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But, 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 but Christy, that's a great note because I do think about that too. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, you know, and I think subtlety is always good, right? I mean, not everything has to be like so super in your face. Yeah, so absolutely. Um, yeah. Okay. So we have to talk about the structure of this book because you seem to perform such magic with time. So can you talk about your approach to structuring this story? And, you know, do you plan this out before you write? Are you a pantser? Are you a plotter? Are you a little bit of both? Yeah, a little scoop. bit of both. I typically don't write an outline until after I'm done with my first draft. Okay. I kind of write the story I want to write and then I, then I figure it out later to I often liken it to a trip to the grocery store and my first draft is buying the groceries and then the second draft is cooking the meal. Interesting. So, nice. so I just, I have an idea of what I'm going to include and then, and then that, and then I winnow it down to, okay, just the things I'm going to need for this meal. And then that's where the, the shape takes place. So this outline came together kind of last minute. Um, one of the last decisions we made before doing final edits was the, or the chapter order. I had always wanted to start with the first chapter and I always knew I was going to end with the last chapter, but in between how to flip flop between these stories, uh, the four threads happening in the book was a real battle in terms of what makes sense for the story, what makes sense for the characters. And ultimately my editor and I decided to, keep the first chapter where it was, but just make it a little shorter. So it's a little bit more like a preview of what's to come. Mm -hmm. And then you hop into the backstory of what created these conditions and you come back to the conclusion of the, the preview later on. And I like that. And, and yeah. that, uh, that made sense to me rather than cutting back and forth with um, contemporaneous events and historical events. I decided to keep the historical events together in a block and keep the contemporaneous events in a block. Yeah. So, or as much as possible. And, and that's, that's more or less how it shook out. And, and that, and that resonated to me, to me, it felt a little like a corkscrew 
Yeah. Uh, or like a double helix, maybe, uh, that ends in a corkscrew that eventually combines. Um, <laughs> and so I thought, yeah, in terms of fleshing out the backstories of these characters so the readers can understand them best in the context, which underline and put them in the scenes that are most important for the readers to know in terms of how they can how they can shine and the events that affect their lives in in the moment rather than in backstory or in flashback mm-hmm. i i'm i feel like i'm getting a little in, 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 inarticulate now this is this is really my first interview for the book so i'm out of practice but you're fine oh, you're doing thanks. great but i feel like uh i didn't want to just have a lot of backstory in flashback within uh contemporaneous action uh or yeah. uh, chapters of contemporaneous action i wanted right. i wanted to give these characters in these scenes the respect they deserved and presenting them as as present action and that meant like okay messing with timelines again but i i just can't quit multi-generational family epics and that means that there's going to be some time hopping that's what i like too and it's so yeah i like it too and it is interesting though because i feel like every story just lends itself to it's like what you're saying i've never actually heard someone say they write and then they outline because i am a total pantser but it's because Mm. when you're going back and forth in time like that i have to like feel where it goes like i can't plan it out because i don't know i'm like i don't know if this is the right time to tell this i don't know if this is the right time to tell this but anyway i thought that was just a it was a very it was a, it was very well done and a very interesting structure and see we always learn something new when we're on these podcasts ron always <laughs> always 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 so i'd like to know did you did you take each part of the story and see it from beginning to end and then merge them together yeah i did i did i wrote all of florence's story as a discrete unit and decided <gasps> where the breaks would be once it was done i did the I same just... with ned yeah i knew ned had to do the heavy lifting of um a particular tragedy in the book I wanted him to be there, you know, to, 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 I mean, I mean, for it to be from his point of view for a lot of reasons. Um, and so thinking about all that, thinking, okay, who gets to tell what story? That's right. always important to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, in, in my second book, Lager Queen, I, I love telling this because I've loved working with my editor, Pam Dorman. And this is one of the ways that she's a great fit for me is that she uh, often tells me to add things. You know, I, I don't know many writers who have that relationship with their editor where they say, you know what, we need this scene or we need more of this. Like, mm-hmm. can you go into your draft and add about 30 pages where this happens? <laughs> I've never heard of another writer uh, uh, having having that exact uh, experience, but I've had it a few times with Pam. And one of the times was uh, in Locker Queen, the character Diana gets married. I originally just had her getting married out of the book, just like I didn't represent it. You know, she's dating and then all of a sudden, okay, she's married to the guy she's dating and they're doing something. I just thought the wedding doesn't move the story forward. It it doesn't reveal anything about these characters. I don't think there's anything I can do there that would introduce any new drama that would add, that, that, that would uh, bolster the drama that existed. Um, she said, no, you don't understand. Your readers are going to want a wedding. I want a wedding. Like, you're going to have to put the wedding in the book. There needs to be a wedding. I'm like, oh, man, I I don't like writing weddings. But then I thought about it, and I thought, you know what? I do like writing weddings if it's from the point of view of the mother of the bride. 
Mm. Gotcha. Because yes. there is a point of view that's going to color the whole wedding. Yeah. <laughs> Who's going to be the most judgmental person in the room? <laughs> Probably the mother of the pride. And she was already a point of view character in the book. And I thought, okay. Uh, then I was like, okay, let me at this scene. 30, I don't know how I can keep it to 30 pages. Let me edit, you know? Uh, and so sometimes just having that point of view shift and having that opportunity to shift to a different character's point of view gets me excited about including a scene and makes me realize like, okay, now this scene can move the story forward because having it from this character's perspective uh, and the be- having the benefit of her voice and opinions in the room here will create drama that will pay off. So... Yeah, have you that have you had that experience, Christy, with just moving a scene from one character to another or having the same scene told by two different characters? Uh, Absolutely. Well, I was actually thinking about a wedding that's in the Summer of Songbirds, like my next book. And and you're right, it's from everybody's point of view, but the bride, right? Because the bride has hmm. such an like a the bride is not seeing any of the interesting things that are actually happening in her wedding, right? But I love to write a wedding. But I, I will say too though, I have an editor who a lot of times will say to me, you know, I want more of this, or can you mm. add this, or I want to see, which I think is really interesting. And so then I'm always like, okay, now I've got to cut something out because I'm very particular about my pages not being too, 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 too long. I'm like, this fuck is getting out of control, but it's hard to kill those darlings. You know, you mentioned that, and it's really hard to say, okay, I love this chapter. I think it's so interesting. I think it's adding something, but it's not moving the story forward. <laughs> it's hard. Yeah. It's yeah, hard. and so and so for me, it was just a matter of point of view. Like this, yeah. this mm-hmm. chapter can move the story forward if someone else tells that story. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so fascinating. Our characters are it so is. interesting when they speak to right. us. Like, that. oh yeah, yeah, I love that. I, I yeah. love getting to that point of writing where. I, I wake up at 5.30 in the morning. I'm like, Florence just told me something. I got to go write it down. Yes! <laughs> it's the best. It's the best. Oh, Florence. And Florence is in her gift giving. Yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Always on her own terms. Yeah. <laughs> oh, something else. Yeah. So um, I know that a lot of this stuff is familiar to you from your background, but you really create quite a setting in the, in the supper clubs. Can you talk about the research that you did and putting it all together? I mean... You know, Brandy Alexander's. <laughs> or, no, Brandy, Brandy Old Fashions. Right. Brandy and, Alexander's are also completely acceptable. Yeah. Right. Did you like build a supper club in your mind so that you knew where everything was? I did. I didn't go to a restaurant for almost a year and a half, you know, during the pandemic, but I went to one every day in my mind during that time. And I was relieved to. It was my happy place in my imagination. Was I'm going to walk into the supper club. I know exactly what it looks like in my head. And watch watch these people complicate their lives right <laughs> in terms of research i was only able to go to a couple i mean i knew that i was going to write about them before i started touring for locker queen so when i was on tour for that book in the northern midwest i stopped at a few supper clubs took pictures of the menus took pictures around the building talked to a couple employees but i didn't really get into the research until well after march of 2020 so yeah. My 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 research then was entirely over the phone or via internet or email. So I emailed and called a number of current and former supper club owners, including my former boss at the Steamboat Inn, Mike Rowan, and they gave me a lot of information that I was able to use to flesh out that environment and create, mm-hmm. you know, not necessarily character related dramas, but story related like color and little kind of side dramas that 
help flesh out the the piece. Like in the book where Mariel talks about the day she met Edina Sue, which was on the Mother's Day, where there was an accident on the road and there were no customers for hours, then they all show up at once. <laughs> that, <laughs> that's based on one of Mike Rowan's stories of something that actually happened at his supper club. Yeah. It, imagine <laughs> also it happening on Mother's Day, which is a day that a lot of people, like, a lot of people who only go out to eat maybe a couple times a year go out to eat. So these aren't seasoned restaurant diners that are the most tolerant people. Uh, right. Yeah. And the Mother's Day crowd is also a little, at least to hear my friends in the service industry tell it, a little more demanding than the average holiday. So <laughs> they're, uh, <laughs> they had their work cut out for them. And I really wanted to tell that story. But also I got to interview people um, on the other side in, in, in related elements to the plot as well. Like, in trying to get the details right for the native-owned and operated restaurant near the end of the book, I interviewed Sean Sherman, whose award-winning restaurant, Owamni in Minneapolis, is very successful, but didn't exist yet at the time I called mm -hmm. him. He was It was still in its planning stages. But nonetheless, I, I think I felt fairly optimistic that that a native restaurant done honestly and, and to the standards of someone like Sean Sherman, who did have a cookbook out yet that I owned. So I knew what kind of recipes and what kind of meals I could serve in the book. I felt it would be successful. And he was optimistic it would be successful too. We just, I just wanted to get the details right. I just wanted to reflect his ethos and how these characters would come about creating this restaurant and its food. And, and it was a real pleasure to talk to him. I had met him at a book festival in South Dakota the year before. So, oh, nice. um, and I'm friends with his friend, Beth Dooley, who collaborated on his cookbook with him. So I was mm. able to access him and he was very kind in making time for me, especially after I got my time zones mixed up and missed his initial call. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. Yeah. What a treasure it was to talk to him and use his wisdom and experience in terms of creating my own restaurant. Um, but yeah, all across the board, it was fun to research, but it would have been a lot more fun had I been able to go to these places in person. <laughs> sure. Right. Well, it well, felt like we did. <laughs> it did. Okay. It really did. And I know I mentioned this at the beginning, but it, it felt like, you know, places that we've been, but it also feels like people that we've met. You know, your characters are people that we recognize, which I think is just always so fun. So what inspired you to create these characters? And I mean, was there anyone, like, were you thinking about anyone specific or did they just sort of arrive to you from the ether or what? Right. Yeah. Sometimes my characters are composites of people I know. I think that's true of Florence. Florence is actually based on a couple of women I know, not one in particular, just kind of a composite. Yeah. And usually not these people at their best, <laughs> to be honest, but right. yeah, people who I would consider to be good people, um, you know, just Florence is kind of a compilation of behavior I've observed. <laughs> yeah. Oh and Mariel is more or less based on my mom, who was a waitress oh. when I was a little kid. And, you know, uh, also died of cancer young. And oh. yeah. And I, I, one of the reasons I, I write is to put my mom in my books as characters and continue that dialogue oh. with her. And so Mariel is my my mom character in this book. And so her um, life experience and her observations and just kind of the way she conducts herself and her sense of humor, 
like not wanting to be proposed to at the baseball game like don't make a scene you know like <laughs> yeah like, do this somewhere else like i'll be mortified yeah like, that, that that's my mom like she would not have wanted to be proposed to at a baseball game like oh heaven oh for heaven's sakes get up off your knees and sit down you know i can just imagine her saying that yeah um Aww. yeah like i like i love that scene and also uh other moments throughout the book, like at the restaurant, the way she relates to her employees and her friends, like Edina Sue is actually based on my mom's best friend, Sue Fleet, um, who's, who lives in Edina. <laughs> so, so when Sue reads it, she'll know. And uh, also <laughs> Sue's favorite drink is Sue's favorite drink, you know, the seven and seven. Um, yeah. So yeah, there's a lot of that kind of stuff. A lot of characters that are composites of my friends, uh, at least in name. Like Al Norgard is a composite of my friends, Al Sarazen and Tony Norgard, and Jeremy McBroom is Jeremy Schmidt and Adam McBroom. And then all these people are thanked in the credits. So, so at I the end, that. yeah. And so at the end, if if uh, if you if you read the thank yous, you'll you'll feel like um, that cop and usual suspects when he realizes Kaiser Soze has been reading off the board behind him. I'm like, hey, wait a second, I know that name. I know that name. I know that name. You know, yeah, it'll all come together for you in terms of like, Oh, wait a second. This is where he gets all these names from, you know, it's, all, it's his high school friends and his mom's friends. And you know, yeah. the uh, Yeah. Yeah. So, 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 so that's where my characters come from. They, they come, yeah, they do come from people I know, but usually in bits and pieces and composites, it's very rare for me to, base a character solely on one person unless it's my mom i love that that's really that neat. awesome um so the characters then the, the sit around the bar the, i was fascinated with them the people that would come in and they, they'd have their special drinks and they'd have their specials this and they all have this way of of uh telling the story for just basically from the back seats in a way but yeah um, yeah yeah and you kind yeah, of they are the great chorus this. kind of yeah they really are and you find out so many things about what's going on outside of the of the supper club just from them talking and you know there there are all kinds of people there's the the nosy ones and there's the yep, gossipers and the, yep, yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah. The, so, so basically, they're based on the same thing you were talking about—the composites of people. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I also wanted to know—I don't know if this is real or not—but it felt like you put a lot of Easter eggs in this book. Oh, I did. I, I did. So. Yeah. Very observant, Ron. Oh uh, well. Well, it starts out with the well, one of the names in the book starts there. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But then there's some other things that that I re remembered from your previous work. So. Um, did you decide to do that on purpose or just kind of come from your writing? Uh, I decided to do it on purpose. I like gotcha. the idea of creating a, a multiverse or <laughs> an extended yeah. universe of uh, nice. of the Prager family in particular. And the way Mariel Prager is connected with Pat Prager uh, from Kitchens is that Pat Prager's husband, uh, Eli, is the cousin of Mariel's husband, Ned. Ned, yeah. Yeah. And Eli does get mentioned at one point. He's at the party where Ned spontaneously decides to get married. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he's That's a guest. A great he's, scene. He's mentioned, but I don't think he has any speaking lines. I think he's no. I think he's described as the best man, actually, but or would have been. Uh but yeah, so so he's <laughs> briefly in this book. Yeah, he's Nathan's son, Judge Nathan Prager, who's the officiant at the wedding. Right. And, and Nathan's right. not out of the restaurant business. Yeah. And so he's not part of that family fortune. You know, he's like the James Cromwell character in succession. Like he's, he's bowed out. He's over here. Ugh. Yeah. 
Succession. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Succession the Supper Club. Hmm. I know, I know. Yeah, it's like... <laughs> A, a lot less money involved. <laughs> yes, yes. You could you could arguably say lower stakes, but not to these characters. Yeah, right. That's yeah. right. <laughs> so I suddenly want a prime rib and a relish tray too. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. especially and a I've relish had, tray. I've not had either in years, but I kept going like, hmm. Yeah, that's amazing. So you mentioned this a little bit. But about working with the powerhouse that is Pam Dorman, um, could you talk to us a little more just about that relationship and how that has strengthened your work? Yeah, I think Pam knows what I can do at my best. And I think, yeah, you know, she tries to put me in a position to get there as often as possible. Mm-hmm. She's had the unfortunate circumstance of reading first drafts of the last two books. My first drafts are you know, pretty rough, but she, she asked for them. So I sent them and her notes on them. Um, I think if I hadn't worked in television for 14 years <laughs> and had a thinner skin, <laughs> I think I would have considered them a little rough, but they're, you know, she, I, I, they, they, they're correct. And, and a discerning writer will take a look at them and go, you know, this isn't, this isn't worse than tough love. This is, this is what needs to happen to the book. Like she just spells it out for you. She's like, look, it, this isn't working. This is working more of this, less of that kind of thing. And she's usually not very prescriptive in how to, how to connect X and Y. You know, if I ask her help and like, Hey, how to uh, organize chapters, you know, she's happy to do that. But in terms of story or plot elements, Mm-hmm. she'd rather not get involved with that. She's like, no, you, you figure that out. You figure out how to get from a wedding to a, you know, brewery opening. Yeah. But <laughs> I can tell you that we need a wedding and I can tell you that the brewery opening isn't working yet. And so figure that out, you know, and, and she's right. You know, uh, I feel like with my first book, I took 95% of her notes. I don't know why I refused the other 5% or why I stood my ground on them. I think I felt I had to out of some sense of, you know, I got to show I've got a backbone and I'm just not some, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not some kite that just blows in the wind of every suggestion. Uh, like I've, I've got ideas and I want to stick to them, but let me tell you, I regretted that other 5% in time. And really? yeah, when it came back to taking notes on Locker Queen, I thought, okay, yeah, she knows how to steer the ship. Like this might be a frustrating process for her in terms of dealing with my early drafts, but she's helpful in terms of orienting me in in the right direction. Yeah. And so I feel like um ultimately, well, it's uh it's a lengthy it can be a lengthy process. Uh it's a good one and I feel like she got the best possible book out of Lager Queen and Supper Club through this process. Like, I don't think I could have written these two books as well without her input. That's a good feeling for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. And she's 
Well, I've heard talked to other people who've worked with her, and it, I, same same kind of things from them too. So she mm-hmm. really is a powerhouse. Um, this is a little off topic, a little bit, and I want to ask you and Christy both this question: Since your last book, you've you've become a parent, and and how does your writing changed or evolved from there? And I want to know the same from Christy. So why don't you start, Jay? Wow, Ryan. sure. Wow. Um. Well, first of all, it, it, is, it directly inspired the theme of my new book, uh, Legacy, because I had ne- never really thought about that before. As a childless person until that point, I just thought, okay, when I die, just whoever, <laughs> whoever's still alive that, that cares about my stuff can burn it in a pile. Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> yeah, yeah, or salvage it for copper wiring. I, I, I felt like... Um, it recalibrated that sense in me that, oh, wow, now I've got an additional purpose in my life. Not a sole purpose, but a very important additional purpose. And it's changed my writing habits for sure because he's an early riser. I thought I was a morning writer. Turns out I'm not willing to wake up before an infant. Um, <laughs> so I've become a night writer. <laughs> um, but also, yeah, in terms of of what... of of the themes I choose and how I write about those themes, completely different. The experience of parenting gave me insight into being a parent that I didn't have before. I'd written about parenting before, but now I had insight into some of the details and compromises and joys that I hadn't directly experienced. And, you know, when that's really present to you, and especially if you're writing during a pandemic and you're cooped up with these two people, Mm -hmm. um, and that's your life. Yeah. You're going to, kind of kind of what what goes in is what comes out and i thought well i've been doing an awful lot of parenting these days <laughs> yeah it i kind of want to write about it i kind of want to figure that out and put that into the book um my partner brooke and i also struggled with fertility leading up to audie's birth and so i put that in the book as well because quite frankly i hadn't read much in fiction and nothing from a male author that addressed fertility issues especially male fertility. It seems men just don't want to write about infertile men. Uh, so I thought, I'll, I'll do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Low motility. Bring it on. I'll, I'll, I'll go there. Yeah. I volunteer. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I even mentioned the specific kind of surgery I had. Yeah. Which I'd never seen in a fiction book before. Uh, but in mm. any case, yeah. So all that stuff ended up in the book too. Cause I thought, well, this is an interesting struggle that I don't see represented from a male point of view. And I wanted I wanted to add my voice to that conversation. I mean, fertility is a, you know, for the most part, it's a two person game. Yeah, right. it's <laughs> and uh, well, the well, you know, well, my partner certainly bore a hundred percent of the physical <laughs> duty and an awful large share of the emotional duty. I've got an emotional share in this as well, and uh, I wanted to write about that experience of of fertility struggles and IVF from the husband's point of view. And so uh, Ned took on those chapters. And so a lot of the ignorance I had going into it and throughout the process, I put it in Ned as well. Like Ned makes some assumptions about like, oh, how fertile can you be after a miscarriage? You know, I, I, I wanted my mistakes to be Ned's. You know, I wanted that in there too. I didn't just want it to be this rosy path. I, I, wanted, there's, I wanted the struggles that I experienced and the ignorance that I had to be represented as well. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's it felt very real. So, oh, thanks. Yeah. Obviously, 
Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, especially from like, a, I'm actually thinking someone actually told me recently, I've never really thought about this. That they felt like I almost have like a fertility theme in my novels, which is really oh. kind of accurate. And it's like it in these weird ways, it's in these mm-hmm. sort of like weird, smaller ways sometimes. Um, but actually under the Southern sky is one of, it was the, it's the first male POV I ever wrote. And, um, oh. it's about a man whose wife dies and he has to decide what to do with their frozen embryos. So, oh, amazing. You know, wow. Yeah. wow. So when you said that, I was like, it is, it's definitely like a different mindset though, right? Like trying to get into the mind of what it feels like from a man's point of view versus what it feels like from a woman's. But I think for me becoming a parent, um, yeah, I, I do think there's like sort of, as you mentioned, there's like this level of authenticity of experience that I think you can really delve into in a different way. But, you know, on the other hand, I don't know that you necessarily have to have experienced parenthood to write about it. I mean, I think you and I both write about a lot of things probably that we've never experienced and um, hopefully do so convincingly. But I know this is going to sound strange, but I'd actually, my, I had written a couple of manuscripts before I had my son and, um, I actually, he was born in 2011 and I got, I signed with my first agent in 2012. So this was all happening for me, like kind of at the same time. So it was very much wow, like wow. writing, um, you know, while he was born and, and very much in the middle of the night, I wrote Dear Carolina, my debut, um, almost exclusively in the middle of the night when I was up for feedings, which is bizarre, oh, but amazing. it like opened something up inside of me. Like I, I've felt this like deeper well of emotion than I had felt before, which I know sounds, no one's ever asked me this before. So I'm like answering all the, but it really did. I felt things that I had not felt before. And I don't even necessarily mean about parenthood, but I think it changed the emotion that I wrote. Um, and I kind of think it's, it's how I, why I ultimately got published. Cause I think my books were you could feel more in them. Like I wrote deeper feelings in these books because I felt deeper feelings, I guess. I don't know. Good question, Ron. I like it. Yeah. Thank you, Ron. I mean, it, well, life events change people and I think their approach to things. So it's always kind of interesting to me to hear that perspective. Yeah, absolutely. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I just see my family outside. Aww. Getting into the car to take Audie to preschool. Uh, uh, Brooks getting in the car to take Audie to preschool. We're, yeah, uh, we're, we're staying with the couple across the street from us for, for now and moving to another house tonight until our house becomes legally habitable again. Oh, yeah. God. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Terrible. Yeah, in the meantime. Yeah. And, and any anyway, yeah, I totally agree with you, Christy. That's um, that, that, That's been my experience, too, just this well of emotion, you know? Like, where was this before? Yeah. It, it's It's absolutely arresting in its novelty. Yeah. 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 And it's like the most, it's the most common thing in the world until it happens to you, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. It's the most ordinary, extraordinary thing, I guess. It's, I don't know. It's interesting. That's awesome. So I I know that, um, that you have been toying and dancing with uh, movie and TV things with your books. And I wondered if you could share any status updates with those. Yeah, unfortunately, nothing is moving forward at the moment. I mean, my first and third books are both available option-wise. And I think the second one might be two. I think the option expired on that one. I'm really the wrong person to ask. Um, <laughs> yeah, my, my my book to film agent, Rich Green, is on top of it. I spoke to him about a month ago, 
and he was about a week away from going out with supper club. So we, we should be hearing soon. Um, if anyone's interested there, there was a production company interested in kitchens just recently. And we're waiting to hear back from them on how serious they are. Uh, but yeah, it's, Kitchens has been optioned twice so far, and Lager Queen's been optioned once so far. And, you know, uh, so, like I said, Supper Club is going out there as we speak. So we'll see what happens. It's all out of my control, so I try not to think about it too much. But that there isn't sense. any um, any news yet. Yeah. Nothing and at least imminent. any I can share. Like, I mean, there's, right. some, in, there's some very interesting speculative um, interest, like some, some people have contacted Rich who've it would be exciting people to work with, but nothing's been signed yet, so I can't talk That's, about it. Nope, don't yeah. don't do it. Don't don't jinx yeah. it. Yeah, I would yeah. love I would love nothing more than to see kitchens come to some screen. Oh yeah, I, me too. No, that'd, be, that'd be fun. One I of my favorites. A yeah. fun TV or film. Uh, yes. I'd, I'll take it any any way it happens. <laughs> I, I thought it could be structured in sort of the way Olive Kittredge was when it was adapted. Okay. I really liked that adaptation. I enjoyed that book, but. I thought the adaptation was really well done in terms of how it translated that multi-character point of view story to the screen. And Kitchens is structured in a very similar way. So I thought, okay, well, here's a template. At the very least, in the pitch <laughs> meetings, you've got one comp ready. Yeah, yeah right. there you Kittredge go. Meet, it's all of Kittredge meets Chef's Table, maybe, you know? Yeah. I love it. I love it. Not the menu, though. Not the menu. <laughs> oh, yeah, not the menu. Right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, everyone, I speak almost everyone lives in my book. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, it's yeah. true. Yeah. Well, Ron and I have a great feeling about this book, and we hope Absolutely. that readers will embrace it like we did. And so can you tell us before we let you go where readers can connect with you online and find out a little more about your tour schedule? Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Um, they can find me online at jryanstraddle.com and on Facebook at Facebook forward slash jryanstraddle and Instagram at jryanstraddle. Thankfully, it's an uncommon name, so... I've got it, you know, yeah. <laughs> on all the platforms Not fighting with others, uh, Twitter too. Right. Yeah. Um, and luckily I didn't name my son J Ron Straddle jr. Or something awful like that. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Uh, pretty easy to find. It's a, if you Google my name, you'll find it pretty fast. Yeah. And I'll be on tour starting April 18th. So if you live in Hooray. the Northern Midwest or in uh, California, there's a good chance I'm coming near you. I hope to be coming to other places uh in the future but nothing's official yet there but if you're in illinois wisconsin iowa or minnesota or california yeah i'll have multiple dates in both places awesome nice. it's a robust tour i'll tell you yeah well thank you for joining us and we're so yeah. excited about the book and we can't wait to spread the word all right thanks so much yeah i can't wait for people to get get this in their hands um it's yeah. so good and thank you to our listeners for joining us every week to explore the art of storytelling. We appreciate the support in so many ways and feel such gratitude from you all. Saturday Night at the Lakeside Supper Club is now available on our bookshop.org Friends and Fiction page. Save a little money while supporting our essential indie bookstores. Tune in again next week and please tell a friend. Thank you for tuning in to the Friends and Fiction Writer's Block Podcast. Please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast platform. Tune in every Friday for another episode.
And you can also join us every week on Facebook or YouTube, where our live Friends and Fiction show airs at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We are so glad you're here. Produced by Autovita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.